Hello and welcome to episode 214 of SMARTS, which as you know stands for Silent Mandalorian Abused, Revealing Taut Subplot. <laughs> I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me as always is Trevor, aka Rudiger Gu. Q podcaster. Gu. <laughs> I almost got there through it. What's a gu? It's a accent gu. You are gu gu quebecois. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Um, that's that's it. That's the end of the intro. <laughs> kind of fell news? apart at the end there. Yes. Ready. Okay. So we do have some exciting news this week, and some and also some sad news, but mostly exciting news. Tell me, tell me all the news. Okay. So we've known for a while now that Dwayne Johnson was going to star in a Black Adam solo movie. Mm -hmm. Well, this week on Twitter, using um, art that was drawn by Jim Lee and then like digitally painted by this other studio, Boss Logic Studio, studio I think they're called. He officially announced the release date Ooh. for the movie. So it's going to start production soon. It'll be released on December 20, 21st, 2021. Awesome. So in about two years, we'll have the Black Adam movie in theaters. Now, I know that they're also planning a Shazam sequel, but I think that... From what they've been saying, and these plans can change, but I think from what they were saying is that the Shazam sequel will be, I'm not sure if it'll be before that or after that, but it'll be independent of it. And mm -hmm. then so if the two characters are going to meet and fight, it would be in a theoretical Shazam 3 or Black Adam 2 or mm -hmm. some sort of other movie. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't setting him up for a villainous role in Shazam 2. Apparently that would be farther off unless these plans change. Who knows? Right. Um, but that's exciting. So we got our first official look. I can show you the art later. I didn't want to show it to you before because obviously it would have spoiled this. Surprise, but it's it's pretty faithful. I mean, it looks like Dwayne Johnson with right. a shaved head, which Black Adam doesn't traditionally have. Mm -hmm. But it looks like Dwayne Johnson in a pretty traditional-looking Black Adam suit, you know, with the black and the gold and the lightning bolt and the cape and everything. It seems like it's got a little bit more of an armored look in sections. Like, he seems mm -hmm. like he's got, like, a like a spiky shoulder pad on one shoulder or something. Mm -hmm. So they're probably going to add some, some extra stuff to it. Because mm -hmm. his regular costume is pretty sleek and simple and like right. the new 52 has added more stuff to it by having like the glowing white lightning bolt in the center and like some extra lines on there but normally it's just like black with a gold sash gold lightning bolt and gold boots you know mm -hmm. um so they're probably going to add some extra flair to it like they did with the shazam costume where there were more lines and details and like right things on there just to add some visual interest um but yeah it's exciting so we're, wow. it seems like that's finally going to happen he's been he's been working behind the scenes to try to get this movie to happen for like 10 years now so it's exciting that it's finally going to get to happen Wonderful. Um, That's so, so exciting. In TV news, we have some unfortunate news. Oh. Um, the the latest trailer for season three of Runaways, which is going to premiere in about a month, okay. uh, surprised people by um, by announcing that it was going to be the final season. Oh. So this third season of Runaways will be the last. This is not unexpected because you know we've talked about before about right. how more and more of the Mar of the existing Marvel TV properties are sort of dropping like flies. Yeah. In the case of the Ghost Rider show, they're not even. You know, not I even know. happening in the first place. And I think this is just more of what's been, you know, hinted happening. at and heavily rumored, yep. which is that Marvel is taking more and more of their stuff back of, of their well, toys out of the well, sandbox. Well, it's all been Marvel. It's just been it's mar been Marvel TV as opposed to Kevin Feige's Marvel Studios. Right. It's not like where, you know, Fox had the X-Men and Marvel couldn't control them. It's still this. was right. This was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and the Netflix stuff. That was all in-house Marvel, but it wasn't. Kevin Feige's Marvel Studios. Right. Like the movies have been and like the upcoming Disney Plus shows are going to be. Yep. And I think that even though none of those Disney Plus shows have debuted yet, as we've talked about before, I think the way the winds are blowing is that Kevin Feige is going to take control of more and more of Marvel's output, not just in movies but in TV. And everything will be tightly integrated Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff as opposed to the sort of is this official or is it not? Right, right. You know, sort of off there on the fringes. Is this in the same Marvel TV continuity? Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the most recent season completely ignored the events of Infinity War and Endgame anyway. So now it's almost like officially its own separate thing. You right. Know? You could almost say is this a completely separate universe now since right. we've got the, the multiverse stuff is going to be ramping up in the Marvel movies. Maybe Doctor Strange will travel to some alternate Earth where Coulson... <laughs> was resurrected whereas in right. the official marvel cinematic universe maybe he never did come back after avengers you know like who, right. who knows it, it could be like some official side universe now um but yeah so that's too bad but i think it's to be expected so season three will be the last uh they're going to fight against um elizabeth hurley's morgan lefay and they're going to team up with cloak and dagger from the show that we never watched oh. <laughs> it was canceled too after two seasons oh. um 
I'm not sure. I kind of want to watch it now. Um, and I wanted I, to watch it before, but we just be, don't have enough time for everything. Yeah, we're behind on our other shows. Yeah. And then that'll be that'll be it for that show. Wow. So the only remaining Marvel TV properties are the uh, Damien Hellstrom show on Hulu, which was going to be a companion to the Ghost Rider show, which hasn't even you know entered Lifted production off, yet. Yeah. And the um, the Hulu animated shows that we talked about before, like Patton Oswalt's Modoc show and the Howard the Duck show and all those, like right. But, but maybe with the animated stuff, that's different enough mm-hmm. that it won't, you know, be ne- need to be folded in. Although Marvel Studios is doing animated stuff too with What If, so it's not like they're True. above dipping their toes into animation. Uh, but I think that that will be possibly the last vestige of that might have been like the last deal that was struck for those Hulu shows and then after those run their course after one season that might be it and everything else will just be and it might be for the better in the long run but I do hope that you know they 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 have shown that like not not just I guess I don't know should we spoil minor spoiler for Spider-Man Far From Home yeah, it's been enough time. That, that J.K. Simmons reprised his role as J. Mm-hmm. Jonah Jameson for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it would be a nice thing for the fans, unless Kevin Feige is really going to dig his heels in. If they, when they do bring, you know, Daredevil and those characters into the official Marvel Cinematic Universe, if they try, if they at least offered it to the existing actors, Agreed. like offered Daredevil to Charlie Cox. That would be so great. Um, yeah. I saw a rumor go by the other day that they were interested in doing exactly that, at least with Charlie Ritter, uh, Charlie Ritter, um, Charlie Cox and um, Kristen Ritter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. That could have just been a rumor or something, but I don't know. Like, I think that would be nice. Mm-hmm. But Agreed. But who yeah. knows? I mean, if they have their own idea for what they want to do. Um, we have some comic book news. So... Without spoiling the uh, final issue of Event Leviathan, it obviously ended in such a way that sets up a lot of interesting future stories. Um, So the day that it came out, there were interviews with Bendis, and he announced a lot of upcoming stuff. So there's going to be a one-shot in a few months, an exercise one-shot special called Leviathan Dawn, which will deal with some of the fallout from the storyline now that we know who Leviathan is and and what he was up to and some of the repercussions of what happened. This is the new status quo of the DC Universe. This will follow up on some of that. And apparently it's Bendis' plan to periodically do a special or a little mini-series or whatever with Alex Maleev, the artist who did Event Leviathan. He'll be doing the Leviathan Dawn also mm-hmm. to continue to move those threads forward while at the same time the repercussions will obviously be felt in a lot of the other books. You know, like yep. the repercussions on Lois will be felt in the Superman books, the repercussions on, you know... Manhunter might be felt if you know next time Manhunter shows up somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, but it'll be there's going to be this Leviathan Dawn special in a few months, and then there's a promise of future specials to move the main spine of that story forward mm-hmm. while the fallout continues to be felt elsewhere. They also announced DC also announced a new miniseries called um, Unkillables, which which is Tom Taylor's follow up to Deceased, which we've I think we've talked about on the show before. Um, I think I think the issue in particular um, where Superman died at the end um, was was one of our comics of the week. I think it might have been mine. Um, but this uh, this is not going to be a sequel series necessarily. I still think that a sequel series is inevitable. But I think that uh, but this is sort of a side story. It's going to be I think a six issue miniseries, and it will focus on what the villain, the surviving villains, were doing while the heroes were trying to save the world. Because if you think about it. The entire DC's miniseries focused pretty much exclusively on the heroes. Mm-hmm. And so this miniseries will focus on characters like Lady Shiva, Deathstroke, um, Harley, I guess Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy were in the main series, but they're almost like anti-heroes these mm-hmm. days anyway. Um, I think Red Hood is going to be like the lead of the series. I think Deathstroke is going to be in there also and see what they were up to. And maybe some of them survived somehow. Mm-hmm and got off planet or went onto one of the arcs and we just didn't see them or maybe they all died but at any rate this will follow their story i still think a deceased two is inevitable with the survivors landing on some other planet maybe the virus follows them or something or, right or i don't know like we'll see what happens but I, I think that that's inevitable because i think like with um with injustice which tom taylor also wrote they see that they've kind of got or like sean murphy's white knight stuff like i think they see that they've got uh, a cool hook here that they continue to expand into into other stories. Right. So I think we'll see that. But Unkillables will be the first of those, you know, spinoffs, basically. Right. And that's it for our news. That's a lot of news. Wow. So what was your comic of the week? This week I picked 
I can't remember. You picked Justice League Thank Odyssey you. number 15. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, basically because it was a really very fun, interesting issue continuing from last time when um, uh, Jessica Cruz had come back from the dead and she has Omega powers now because, long story, um, she got killed by D- Darkseid and the ring remnants that were crushed into her hand somehow t- uh, took those particles and resurrected her. Um, and, um, then we see that under, uh, the suit, um, that was cloaking this mysterious figure, it was actually Orion, and now he's being hunted by an Escalon because, or Escaton, or whatever they're called, um, because, because reasons and, uh, fourth world gods are going to be killed so that it can make way for the uh, fifth world gods and and all this interesting stuff is happening and the fighting and the bad guys are coming together to form a good guy team and it's really really interesting and then of course the reason I picked it was to watch a cat negotiate with an almighty all-powerful god-eating being awesome I love DC <laughs> So that's why I picked it for my comic of the week. How about you? What did you pick? So I picked Event Leviathan number six. Wee! Um, we don't need to get into like the, all the, the details. The, spo- the spoiler of who Leviathan turned out to be. Uh, but suffice, to, suffice it to say that it didn't land with you as well because you no. weren't familiar with this character. There were so many back background I, facts that I just didn't have, well, and I, so it didn't I hit don't me think, as hard. So I mean, I guess that I mean we can talk around it, but basically by saying it's a character neither of us were familiar with, we're kind of largely hinting that it's not you know didn't turn right. out it didn't turn out to be red hood it's like obviously, a half or else, we, or else we wouldn't be we saying saw that, that coming come yeah. on now but yeah. i mean it's a character that i i knew the name um and i knew some of the history but i don't think i've, I've read any stories with this character in it so it is definitely like a deep cut um i do feel like in some respects it would have been playing fair with the audience more if like if you're going to reveal the whodunit at the end of the story, I feel like that character should at least have been in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were there as Leviathan, but there there were no, like, and you could have you could have figured it out. Like, I, apparently some people did figure it out based on clues. Oh, no kidding. But I, but I feel like if you're going to have it be, like, say, for example, that it turned out to be Sam Lane at the end. Okay. I feel like that would have been playing fair because Sam Lane had been in previous issues. You know what I mean? Like, right. if you yes. were reading this I as your first story... You. Yeah. Like I, the, I, the, when Brad Meltzer wrote Identity Crisis, the identity of the killer at the end was a surprise. But if you went back and read the first few issues, like that character had been there. And if you, you know, look at their actions under with a different perspective, it, you could see that it was established yes, that they I could see. be the killer. Mm-hmm. Here, unless you know who this character is, yeah, like if you knew all your DC history, you might be able to guess it. But it's like it could have been friggin', you know, Kilowog for all the different, you know, for all the exactly. for all for as much as it was set up in the story. You know, like yeah. they could have made that make sense too. But unless they're unless the person who it turns out to be is established in Act One, it does feel like a bit of a out of nowhere thing. Right now, in a shared universe with a long, decades long ongoing narrative, I don't feel like it's. If this were a standalone movie, you know what I mean? Yep. Like if this were a movie that was not in any kind of continuity, just some new mystery movie from, you know, Fox or whatever, and you go yeah. see some new mystery movie, and the villain reveal at the end is a character that hadn't been in the rest of the movie, that would be dumb. Right. But obviously you're playing by different rules when you have a long, ongoing narrative in a shared universe, right? If it had been a character that you were familiar with, yep. Um, even if they hadn't been in the previous issues then you probably would have felt that that was like a cool reveal, like it was right. playing fair. Like, I don't know who it could have turned, if it turned out to be, I don't know, like Ralph Dibney or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. or, or or the question, right? Yep. Like, even if they hadn't, and they were, so it's a bad example, but even if they hadn't been in earlier issues, you'd have been like, oh, wow, the question, like, that's cool. That You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that might have felt cool to you, mm-hmm. even if it hadn't been set up in, in like a conventional way. Right. Here, it wasn't set up in a conventional way, and you weren't familiar with the character, so it didn't land with you on any level. For right. me, um, I was familiar enough with the character and certainly with the mythology around that legacy right. that that it landed for me enough. And I felt like the way it was told and the things that happened in the issue were interesting enough and you know, dramatic enough to justify it. All stuff with right. Lois and her father, the repercussions of like where this leaves the DC universe, the fact that Leviathan is still out there and they didn't achieve their immediate goal. Right. But they still control, they've still wiped out the DC like intelligence it's like in the Marvel movies where S.H.I.E.L.D. was destroyed, right? Like there's mm-hmm. no intelligence apparatus. In the, I mean, there's like the, the real world stuff. Like they still presumably in the DC universe, the FBI and the CIA, you know, right. and the NSA still exist. Right. But there's no Argus. There's no DEO. There's no, 
you know, Cobra Cult even, all these things have been wiped out. And this is going to have effects on, you know, Steve Trevor and the Wonder Woman book and all these other characters, right? right? And Lois Lane because, you know, her father was killed and all this other stuff. And Leviathan is still out there and he still controls all of the remnants of those organizations and he still has this massive power base. And if anything, after failing here, he's even more ticked off because you kind of get the sense at the end of this issue that he's kind of like, he's really ticked off. Like I tried to work with you heroes and you didn't see what I was trying to do. So, well, then screw you. I'm not going to play so nice next time. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I hope they don't go too far with that because like we were saying last week when we were talking about the Supergirl show, what makes Leviathan as an entity interesting is that they're kind of trying to work with the heroes or at mm-hmm. least tiptoe around them. If they just become another shadowy right, evil organization, it doesn't become as interesting. But I don't exactly. think Bendis will do that because, again, he created this or he created this stuff, right. so he, he knows what's unique about it. I will say that it is a common complaint with Bendis when he writes big event storylines over when he was doing it. He wrote several of them over at Marvel that – he doesn't always stick the landing and that the landing is good, but usually what's what's what what gets people excited about the last issue, the final issues of his event series are the fact that it sets up a lot of cool stuff, not mm-hmm. the fact that the ending felt really satisfying in and of itself. Mm-hmm. He's usually good, really good at setting up a cool concept mm-hmm. and has a lot of cool character moments and, and good dialogue, but then the ending can sometimes kind of fall flat, but it sets up a lot of interesting stuff in the future and then the cycle just kind of repeats itself because then, you know, he follows up on that and it's like, oh, cool, this is really cool. And then the ending sometimes falls flat. Like, mm-hmm. not always, but sometimes. I, so I think, that, I think that this series I would maybe give it like... A, not that we normally rate these things, but maybe I would give it like a B plus, whereas with the ending, I would maybe give it like a B or a B minus. But right. again, because, you know, there were cool moments and the fact that it did set up cool things, I think that, and there was that whole sequence where the heroes were having to communicate with each other via sign language that was that translated was for us because they knew that Leviathan could be watching it. I did feel like there were cool reveals like it had to, in the way that, you know, Talia was involved in the end, the way that, you yeah. Know, you know, Manhunter was involved and all these other things, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the interaction between Talia and her son. She's like, "Oh, my son has uh, give give the uh, staff to my son." And, uh, and we could we could quibble with a little he thing like like Sil- snacks? like Silencer is there after <laughs> yeah. after everything that happened in her own series. I, I feel like you could have at least had a line of dialogue that explained why she'd thrown back in with Talia after right. everything she did to yeah. get away. There was a little bit of dialogue there where she's like. Where she said something about like, look, Talia knows more about Leviathan than anybody. You need to listen to her. And yeah. so like, you can kind of read between the lines and say she saw that there was a greater threat here. And if she could save lives by teaming up with Talia again, she would do it. But I felt like I needed – but again, she's like 30th down on the list I of important know. characters in the series. I so know. we're not really owed anything. But I felt like that's the – didn't I tell you? Is this yes. exactly what I told yes. you when Silas was canceled? And you're like, oh, I hope they bring the series back. I'm like, they're not going to bring the series back. But what's going to happen is she's going to show up in the background of some event soon. Yep. And it, it's exactly what happened, right? And you're going to be un- vaguely unsatisfied because she's not going to get any dialogue or characterization. I know, I <laughs> That's know, just the way it goes. She'll get a spotlight again, you know, 10 years from now when somebody who grew up reading her original series starts writing the books. It's what always happens. <gasps> Maybe that'll be me. Cyclical in that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was my pick. So it uh, not I felt like the ending kind of let it down a little bit, but still, like in, in a whole, I think it was a, a cool series with a cool concept. The art was great. There were a lot of great character moments. I feel like it sets up a lot of interesting stuff for the future. So I did think that it was worth worth talking about. So should we move on to your pop quiz? I am ready. Okay, so this week, because of a Leviathan, I'm going to quiz you about surprising moments in DC stories. <laughs> okay, very, very general. Okay. All right, so number one. Are you ready? Ready. This is multiple choice. Ooh. In season one of Young Justice... The mole in the team was revealed to be, right? Mm-hmm. Was it Miss Martian, Red Arrow, Artemis, or Superboy? Spoilers, obviously, for, for Young Justice Season 1. A six-year-old show. Seven-year-old show. Oh, crap. It was a pretty big plot point and really know. affected the way the, series, the, the season ended. Oh, oh, but sorry, read that again? In season one of Young Justice, yeah. the mole in the team was revealed to be uh-huh. the characters I just listed. <laughs> Crap. I don't remember. I don't You've remember. watched the season twice. I know. I've got Once relatively recently, too, in the, bil- in the when we were waiting for season three to drop. I know, but I can't remember. Um, oh. Uh, uh, Artemis? No, it was Red Arrow. It was Red Arrow, I guess. <gasps> right. Because it turned out that he was a clone, and they they implanted him with like post hypnotic suggestions and everything. Yes. Yeah, forgot that. All right. Okay. Number two. Yeah. 
the season three premiere of Young Justice featured all but which of these moments? Mm. Okay? Okay. Batman and others resigned from the Justice League. Mm. Barbara Gordon is now Oracle. Superboy proposes to Miss Martian. Or Miss Martian has an evil brother. So all but one of those moments were in the season three premiere, which was not in the season three oh, premiere. Oh, that's really tricky. That's not fun. Okay. Um, I think Miss Martian's brother was introduced later. Yes, that's right. That was like seven or eight episodes in. Okay. All right. Number three. Yes. In season two of Justice League Unlimited, the force controlling Lex Luthor's actions was revealed to be Darkseid, Gorilla Grodd, Brainiac, or Mongol. So this was the season with the whole Cadmus arc and all of that. Oh my God, what? Remember Lex Luthor, he had, he thought he was going to die and then he got better and then he got super strong and there was a villain that was responsible for that and was pulling his strings. I don't remember what you're talking about. I have no recollection of this. You don't remember the season two of Justice League Unlimited where Lex Luthor was gonna was running for president and everybody was worried worried that what happened on the Justice Lords Earth was gonna happen here where he becomes president and the Flash is killed and everything becomes terrible. Oh, I guess. <laughs> so this is gonna be a guess. Uh I think Brainiac. Correct. Awesome. Because then Brainiac popped out of Lex Luthor and they fought him and beat him. Remember? The Flash ran, the, ran around the world super fast and punched him a lot and then almost got pulled into the Speed Force. <laughs> the Flash does then, that then a lot. Joined, you have to admit. And everybody joined hands and pulled him out? I just... Doesn't, doesn't ring a bell? Not at all. All right. Number four. But it was a good guess on my part. Yes. The, the Suicide Squad movie had a post credit scene featuring which character? Lex Luthor, Deathstroke, Wonder Woman, or Bruce Wayne? Ooh. Uh, I don't remember. Um, Lex Luthor? No, Bruce Wayne. Lex Luthor was in Justice League's post-credit scene, as was Deathstroke. I don't remember. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember that one. The post-credit scene in Suicide Squad was Amanda Waller having dinner with Bruce Wayne. And oh, Bruce Wayne, like, getting some files right. from her about more, right, more, more setup for the Justice League movie. Right. All right, number five. Okay. The season three premiere of Arrow featured the surprise death of which character? Sarah Lance, Quentin Lance, Moira Queen, or Tommy Merlin? Um, season. Um, oh, Quentin. Nope. It was Sarah Lance. Which time? Oh, she dies a lot. She only died once, though, right? Am I wrong? I mean, she was thought dead on the Queen's Gambit. Right. So that was one time when that she was thought dead. That doesn't count how many times. I mean, ah. you can't count, count times on these shows that characters were thought dead. No. Remember, she was, that was the big shock ending of, uh, of uh, the season three premiere. And then the mystery throughout the season was who did it. And then it turned out that it was Thea, oh. that, that uh, Malcolm had, had controlled Thea somehow. I forget exactly how to do his dirty work and kill her. Um, so that he could, I'm trying to remember, he was trying to manipulate himself into becoming Rachel Ghoul. I forget exactly right. how his plan was supposed to work. But no, Quentin didn't die until like the season six finale. That was, that was years later. And Moira was killed by Deathstroke near the end of season two. And Tommy right. died at the end of season one. Well, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. And, and Moira as well. Okay. Okay. So I got two out of five on that. Yes, you did. <laughs> That's not too bad. Wah, 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 wah. Hope you guys did better. <laughs> All right. So All right. our shows this week. So we have Star Wars Resistance. We have a Star Trek short track. We have Batwoman, Supergirl, Black Lightning, and we have the first two -ish, um, episodes of The Mandalorian. Uh-huh. So I don't think we have as much to say about the CW shows this week. Um, I've, I enjoyed this episode of Batwoman with like this executioner character. Yeah. I thought that he had an interesting motivation and that sort of Agreed. confessional video that he did was, yeah. was well acted. I thought that that was like an interesting concept for a one-off villain. You yeah. know, someone that was, I mean, obviously he was off his rocker, but someone who, who felt thought that he'd been turned into a monster by these corrupt yeah. You know, lawyers and judges and, and police officers and so on. So he was, of course, you know, he gets revenge. The failure so of the establishment, yeah. But I thought that was Corruption. interesting. He, at first, he kind of, I was getting kind of like a lockup vibe yeah. from him. as because, But only because he was like a prison employee who who became evil. In that it wasn't sense, really yes. the same motivation. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Supergirl, this episode, uh, Supergirl was barely in it. This was the whole the history of Lena and um, Andrea's friendship. Friendship, yeah. I thought it was interesting. And now she's got like crazy superpowers. Like I didn't see any of that coming. Nope. It was nice new. that they brought back her, her love interest character, the guy from iZombie. Who I'm not as familiar with because we didn't watch that show, but her love interest character from a couple oh, of seasons yes. ago from mm-hmm. that one episode. Yeah, that was great. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got more characterization from um, William. I'm bad with names on this show recently. William Davis, right? Isn't that right. the name of the, mm-hmm. the, the, the guy that turned out to be a really nice reporter guy? Right. Um, his friend who became Dr. Octopus there. Right. right? <laughs> I was about to say. But it was nice to get some backstory on those characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was a, a, a good episode. We got, I thought we, it was we, a bummer because a like what you were saying earlier what you were saying earlier about Leviathan being kind of misused and mischaracterized and sort of a thin bad guy and I mean here they were I mean it's mostly uh, mostly what I was talking about was the last episode where they were trying to drown billions of people. Here their motivations are completely opaque and so you could read anything you want into like exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah, but, but they're they're they've also got this like mystical element which never happened before. They used to be a shadowy organization and now uh, it looks like they're appearing spiritually tied to the to the Leviathan I mean, medallion. They're interested that she was in that collecting. medallion thing. I'm not sure if that means No, that they they got literally his... appeared. That dude, that white dude appeared to her in the cave and then again I and, guess the, so. he and he was a janitor really and stuff like he that. He was like be, they, he wasn't just that he was following them and then he like did it pull no, the Batman and disappeared when no, she turned around. He full on like manifested. Yeah, I guess that I to guess convince like, her I guess he could read it down. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. yeah, that is strange, but eh, maybe they're. I mean, I'd almost rather at this at this point they're not. They're so dissimilar from the their motivation in the comics anyway yeah. that I'll, I would almost rather they just completely made them their own thing. So if they make them this like mystical thing, yeah. But at that point, Seems why like not just use did. at that point why not just use Cobra or something like that, right? Like it's not like DC That's doesn't have true. mystical cults, yeah, with yeah. shadowy, you know, Origins. ties to the intelligence, and especially like yeah. If you if they want to, that's go literally with the snake what Cobra route. is, or Hive. I know Hive, or the Church of Blood. Even you know, if they wanted to do something cultish, I, don't I think know. they've already done Blood in the DCU. Um, what show? What show used Arrow? Oh, the Arrow. That's right. Mm-hmm. God, but that was so. That was really not even. That was different. That was yeah. not. I got the I whole nine forgot that. And stuff that, like that, that yeah. Brother Blood thing was not very memorable in that season. Now that was like read... during his run for mayor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much. There was weird stuff in that season. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and then Black Lightning. This one was good too. I mean, it's a, a scene at the end where he get Jefferson gets beat down by those yeah. um, ASA agents was was hard to watch. But yeah, this show this show continues to be good. I'm enjoying oh, such this. a good show. I'm enjoying uh, where the season is going. So this was the final chapter of the Book of Occupation. The next next episode starts the Book of Resistance. It says. So I think oh, as we set up at the end with Henderson gathering his pathetic little <laughs> squad of like this one like <laughs> this one part time criminal he knows and mm-hmm. a reverend. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, this exactly. Is, this is going to be his awesome freedom fighter force. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of pathetic, but I guess I mean obviously the Reverend has deep ties to the community, and but we know that one criminal guy because he's like a recurring comic relief character. I know, he's like the he's one comic informing relief, guy that they come got... and they beat up and they clear out his bar. But... I know, but he's also got heart, and he's also I got... know. But what real sway like does he him. have in the city that he's going to be a powerful force for revolution? No, he's not powerful. But he's he he's running his bar. He's trying to keep it honest. But he's also got shady dealings on the side. He's I basically guess. smuggling, honey. The reason he was, you know, uh, borderline arrested, you know, and then and then, he, the reason why he was recruited by oh god, what's his name, Henderson? Henderson? Yeah, um, recruited was because he has yeah, a tie, I understand. and he's trying to do. I just feel like how much can thing. he really contribute to the effort? I mean, he's guess he's got some c- connections, but how much? Okay. Well, well, they can write it however they want. I exactly. just feel like there's got to be somebody with more with more. He's got power resources, he and he doesn't stay, and he doesn't uh, believe in the occupation. Those two things already Seems make like pretty a person much everybody in the city recruit. is against the occupation. But that's though, what I'm so. saying, and that's why resistance. I mean, we didn't see a whole lot of people, so let's just say that the scene between those three characters was pretty low budget, taking place in the alley like that. But I feel like Henderson has been forming a coalition a very long time, and the resistance that everybody is talking about actually has a lot more people in there. So now he's going to try to tie not just people into one group, but he's also taken these two particular people because they they have interests in two other endeavors that are going on. And so it's three groups, not just three people. And that's how it was represented in that discussion, which is so much more interesting because you've got the people that were trying to speak truth to power, the people that were trying to smuggle metas out of the uh, out of the occupied 
you know, city. And then the people that were trying to, you know, distribute rations, mm, I don't know, according to their own, you know, whatever. They were dealing with uh, with rations and, and stealing them and smuggling them and all that stuff. So now you've got these three bands. And yeah, when they, when they get together, it'll be um, a much more... I don't know. Big endeavor. It'll, I just I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the star, uh, so Star Wars Resistance. This one was fun. I did. I do agree with the people that said maybe it felt a little like for for an episode where they're going to like come across a Sith temple. You think, oh man, oh, yeah. this, things are really going to get exciting now. And it's like, yeah, they nothing really came of it. I know. We're it was... introduced to this new like female Indiana Jones type character, yeah. I guess, which which could be fun, but I don't know. It it did it did feel like a little inconsequential for what you think would be like a really. But I important... think they have a new cast member. I well, don't sure, think it's so I know. inconsequential. But but I mean, it, it didn't feel like like they could have met her anywhere. Like I was when you when you remember think like the, the episodes of, of Rebels when they would encounter like some Jedi, some ancient Jedi thing or whatever. Like oh yeah. man, it's like things are going to get kicked up a notch. Here it could have been anything. It didn't have to be a Sith temple. It could have been literally anything, and it wouldn't have been any different. True. Could have been some Wookiee temple or something, right? Like it would. True. Yeah. Um, so Star Trek, this short track was called "Ask Not." So this is a pretty. This is the shortest of the short tracks so far. Actually, uh-huh. they could have called it the shortest track. Um, <laughs> so I, I, so I feel like I was thinking earlier, and I feel like Starfleet's. Um, you know how you know how like they'll have a Latin motto, right? Yes. Um, and Starfleet's is from. I think it's like. Um, it, it, when translated, it means from the stars, knowledge or something, or that could be NASA's, but I think the star, Starfleet's. Um, but you know how often when you're when you'll drive into like a military academy and they'll they'll have like a, a sign there that will sure. have like some other motto on it, like a, yeah. a tradition of excellence or whatever, right? I think Star Starfleet's should be like a proud tradition of gaslighting, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you think about what they do to these cadets, these I poor know. cadets, or in the case of Next Gen, a prospective cadet. Right? right? When they friggin' made Wesley think he had to make a life or death decision, le- leave this guy behind to die in a horrible fire. Yeah, yeah. And that's what they do for every pr- person Potential. who even applies to Starfleet. Yeah. Not, not gets in. Yeah. Not is about to graduate like right. the Kobayashi Maru. Right. But everyone who applies. Yeah. First of all, that's a, that's a lot of resources. Like, I understand post-scarcity society and everything, but that's a lot of resources to devote. You're forgetting that this could have all taken place in the Hollow Suite. If this... I guess this one could have, but no. Like, she would have known that she was... I don't know. No, 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 no. No, but they don't have that technology yet. That's what I was about to point out. This one could have taken... Yeah, technology. Yeah. But... The next gen one could have, but it didn't. Because, like, the scene went on, and the guy walked out of there and, like, brushed himself off. Like, he had soot all over him. And it's like, no, that was, like, a set with actors and everything. Like, that's a lot of effort. And here, you know, they wouldn't have even had that option. Like that, And there were, like, exploding consoles and, like, things going on. Like, they would have had to rig all that. Mm-hmm. Like, stuff was exploding all around her. So Pike's brought in. So we should say, like, Pike's brought in. He's got, like, this weird space helmet on. Yeah. Um, like the like the man in the iron mask, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got this uh, this cadet, uh, Cadet Sidhu. And they're like, oh, this guy is, we can't believe this guy turned out to be a traitor. You watch him because we're under attack. Yeah. By... Was it? The, I mean, I know, I know the Tholians were supposed to be involved, but right. did I tell the Tholians were attacking yes. the starbase? Yes. And Pike has to convince her to tries to convince her to to let uh, him go. disobey orders and let him go. And he gives her like this whole sob story about why he's actually under arrest and what he was trying to do, and the fact that he can. And he appeals to the fact like, look, the Tholians are attacking. I understand that they killed you. They, they killed right. everybody you know except mm-hmm. for your husband, and now mm-hmm. they're coming here. And your husband's ship. I was trying to save it. It might actually be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Join forces with me, and together we can, you know, mm-hmm. rule the galaxy as captain <laughs> and cadet. Um, yeah, and she doesn't go for it, mm-hmm. and then the end is like, okay, you got me. You know, this is all just an elaborate hoax. Your husband's fine. In fact, he's right here. You know yeah, what I yeah. Mean? And and moreover, you get to come and serve on the Enterprise with me. I feel like you know. Yeah. No kidding. I, I feel like the, she she should be like people in that situation should be. Like, you told me my husband could be dead, and you like I could yeah. have died in one of these console explosions. I mean, in Starfleet, they've got two things going for them: gaslighting and exploding consoles. Right? These are the two <laughs> things we know about Starfleet. They rigged it good. So I good. guess she kind of knows going into any room on any given day, consoles might explode in her face. It's just a thing that happens in Starfleet. Right. For some reason, they they short out and explode very easily. Um, no, they're, they've got that button, you know, and it's just accessible to the uh, more administrative staff. Like you need administrative permissions in order to trigger the console explode button. But you would you would think that, I don't know, you think they should be madder after that, right? 
Mm. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you think you'd be kind of mad? She knew. Well, she knew the test was coming and that it was going to be difficult. Did so she, she know there was a test coming? Yes. I don't remember that. Yeah, that was a discussion. I mean, that uh, when she got uh, hollow sweeted over there and they said, "Oh, he," and that that was number one's idea. I mean, that's because she knew that every cadet has to pass a certain test. And most don't, by the way. So she, this was meant to exemplify her um, in the way that this episode obviously did. But it also... <laughs> that's no, a, that's I mean, a sad that's existence. Moral. Like, cadets have to go through like all four years of Starfleet Academy knowing that like at any given moment... They could be thrust into some horrible situation where they think they're going to die not or every other people given, are going to die. No, not every moment. It's kind of like passing Only the Only as they SATs. get close to graduation. Well, yeah. Well, but then wouldn't it just be common knowledge among the cadets that like a, a, about a month before graduation, if something really strange and dangerous starts to happen, it's probably a simulation? No, not necessarily because they, they, they're in active duty at that point. It's kind of like an internship yeah, well, for, for a doctor. It's weird that she was in active duty when she was still a cadet. The only other time we've seen that happen is Nog on Deep Space Nine, and that was just because they wanted the actor to still be on the show, even though he was still technically a cadet. Usually you go to the academy for four years and then you, you get your disappear. first posting. Yeah, but yeah. I guess maybe it was a star base and not a ship. So maybe cadets right. do grunt work on star bases. You can kind of make anyway. Well, that's we're, yeah. I'm doing exactly. a lot of nitpicking. I, I did think it was good. I enjoyed it, but I just think that it, the the entire premise is 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 steeped in Star Trek tradition, but is on the face of it pretty preposterous that they would go this far to to trick every cadet with some preposterous scenario where things are exploding and there's multiple and Captain Pike. The captain of the Federation flagship has nothing better to do than haze this <laughs> but pers- that's what, prospective engineering but ensign. That's what he. But that's exactly her point. And she's like, "You, you. They picked you. That's How so did crazy you do that? that it must right. be true. No, that doesn't mean that it makes sense. No, no, no. I know that. No, I think it was part. Part of it was because the, he really wanted to be part of the interview process for somebody that was going to be serving on his crew. Why not? But there's hundreds this of is people supposed on to be... the Enterprise. So? Would he do this for every single prospective? A good captain would. I Yes. Does he? Did they like? Does he have a whole day of these? Does, like, was he going? Was he <laughs> leaving not? here and going to some other poor schmoes? Who knows? Exploding console that, room. One hundred percent possible. It's like, look, I'd like to congratulate your husband's coming in. I don't have time to talk. I've got fifteen more of these things to do today. Yeah. We've got a Bolian next door who thinks he's being flayed alive. I've really got to move. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah I. It, I don't know. It's it's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous in a very traditional Star Trek way. So I was, well, there I, you go. I was willing to go along You're with it. You're very welcome. And if, but I do think that it was, and of course, you know, Anson Mount on screen, obviously, Up. you know, charms the pants yeah. off of you immediately. But there was there were enough indications <laughs> early, early on that there was something off. Because the way he was talking, he's like, don't you want to go out there and get them? Don't you want to get revenge? Yeah. Like Pike wouldn't be talking about I know. About At first it. I thought that was like... Pike is like uh, the most... like. Like, he's up there with Picard in terms of, like, the high-minded ideals he has about Starfleet. Almost to, like, an angelic extent. Because he's, like, this... He was the original Star Trek character, the original Star Trek captain before even Kirk, right? So right, I feel right. like he's, like... You know, like, in D.C. for... Here's an analogy. When Barry Allen was dead for 20 years in D.C., the fans would call him St. Barry because D.C. would never do anything or have any character say anything bad about Barry Allen, right? Because he was, like, the first official D.C. saint. He died saving the entire multiverse... And now nobody can ever say, no writer could ever write anything bad about Barry Allen ever again after that. And I feel like it's kind of like St. Saint, Saint Christopher here where it's like we can't have Pike do anything mm-hmm. because he's like he's like the prime Star Trek captain. You know, he's even before Kirk. And they've given him some flaws, okay. and, you know, I'm, but I just feel like there's, there's sort of like this angelic quality about him. Like he, he has to embody the best aspects yeah. of being a Starfleet captain. What's wrong with that? In ways that even Kirk or Picard were allowed, I feel like we're allowed, and Cisco and Janeway were allowed to have like more flaws than he did. I feel like they're trying to write him in a way where he's like the exemplar of Starfleet captains. And yes, he can have flaws, but they're like, his flaws are like he tried, you know, it's like if I need, if I had like in a job interview, right? Like, what's your biggest flaw? Well, you know, sometimes I just work too hard. You know what I mean? Like they're those kinds of flaws. I not, carry a torch for uh, a yeah, woman like that's a, been, not like, yeah. you know, I ran over five kids on the way over here. Like you're never going to give them that kind of flaw. It's more like, you know, like I just try to, I believe too much in Starfleet and sometimes it holds me back. You know, it's like those are the kinds of flaws they'll give Pike. Hilarious. Um, but obviously, you know, they, they gave him those those little lines of dialogue. It was like, yeah, don't you want to get revenge on the Tholians? Like, come with me and we'll blow them all to hell. And I'm like, well, that's how you know you way. were a test. No, I know. Yeah. But I know that was, but, and that was done well. I know. Exactly. But, but I feel like, but, you know, for her, she didn't, presumably she wouldn't know Pike well enough to know that maybe this is how he talks when the cameras aren't on. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he's not as saintly as, right. so for her, she was... wouldn't know that they were tip-offs, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it was good. It was a great so, episode. So the Mandalorians, so we had the fir- first two episodes of the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, so, so good. It was really good. So I'm surprised that the episodes are as short as they are. The first one was less than 40 minutes, and the second one was only 30 minutes. In fact, they're closer to the runtime of Star Wars Resistance than they are to the runtime of one of the CW oh, shows, yeah. for example. But I mean, it's the, uh, it's the advantage of having being on a streaming platform is you can make the you episodes be as long as you, one can be yeah. 30 minutes, one can be 60 minutes, right? It wouldn't surprise me if the finale, season finale was 60 minutes or yeah. something like that, right? Yeah. Um, the tone is really interesting because I think going in, I was expecting this guy to be like this, this dark, mysterious, terse, mm-hmm. badass bounty hunter guy, but... He's kind of like a. They're playing him as kind of like, and and the the first episode kind of sets him up that way, where they get that cool cantina fight. Yeah. Right. But then as the as the series goes on, you see they're kind of playing him as more like a working class bounty hunter, where he's not perfect. Right. He screws up. He makes mistakes. He gets his butt handed to him multiple times. Right. The whole thing where he's trying the to the penalties cl- of of being alone are very right. Um, well, the whole thing where he was trying to obvious climb up the side of the Jawa sand crawler, yeah. and they were like throwing pots and pans at him, trying to knock him off, and he gets shocked and falls off onto his back. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. <laughs> Like he's not—he's good at his job, but he's not. They're not playing him. He's as not like, perfect. It's not Boba Fett. Like he's not like a super, a super competent, super powerful. Like always is thinking five steps ahead of the guy. Like you, Boba Fett is like the Batman of the Star Wars universe. It's yeah. Like, oh man, he can take out anybody. He's the best. Right. This guy is just a guy. Right. Like he looks like Boba Fett, and he's really good at what he does. Right. But he's gonna get he's very beat. good. He's gonna get beat sometimes. His armor is gonna get <laughs> torn, torn to crap. To crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's. So but that's the other that. thing is that did you notice that the stuff that was made out of Beskar was well, not sure. yeah he's got like he's got like his his adamantium or vibranium parts but then he's got the rest of it is just get like, the name right it's Beskar no I understand but okay. he's got like the unbreakable <laughs> like, like Beskar is like the adamantium of the Star Wars universe, I understand right? like this is the unbreakable it's the Captain America shield but this of the is Star also it's so meaningful too I really like how they've established the lore in such a short amount of and they time set that up and the in, meaning uh, Rebels too with to all the stuff that took well. place on Mandalore yes I know but if you even if you haven't seen uh rebels then you're you're getting the sense of history that he carries with him well i think the most interesting sequence in the whole two episodes so far was that sequence where he kind of goes to like the mandalorian ghetto almost on the planet that he was in and there's like all these mandalorian refugees there and kids and Mm -hmm. they forge him some new armor and there's like really interesting conversations there that we don't fully understand the meaning of like the 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 lady with the forge is like has your signet been revealed yet and he's like not yet and she's like oh soon like what does that mean like is Mm -hmm. it kind of like a mandalorian naming ceremony thing almost where like do you have to keep the helmet on until you have achieved a certain like level of badassery and then you get you get to like join some house or something yeah and then you get to take your helmet off and reveal your face or something like who knows what that whole thing is about like that's not anywhere in the lore so far so everybody's just guessing even the people that know everything about canon star wars have no clue where that's going right um but it's interesting because this is like six or seven years after return of the jedi so it's the empire has fallen but there's still vestiges of the empire like there's Werner herzog's weird imperial remnant there with like the kind of like crapped up stormtroopers with rusty armor yeah. and um and old weapons mm-hmm. and he's like got this weird hideout and he's like he's hires the mandalorian to bring in this asset which we find out what it is and we'll talk about that but it's like the new republic is technically you know the ruling power of the day but they've only been a resident government that's only been in existence for five or six years at this point so there's parts of the galaxy particularly out here on the outer rim where mm-hmm. the new republic just doesn't reach yeah. and so the empire is still in some in some ways they're lawless completely lawless right right and i mean there were parts of the galaxy like tatooine in the original trilogy on the other rim that the empire didn't have much of a presence there either just a few like token stormtroopers roughing up people in Mos Eisley, and they were probably only there because they were looking for the shuttle that the droids crashed in right mm-hmm. um so the outer rim was always largely lawless and especially now with like this huge transition of power happening like the empire is probably still the power of the day in some of these cities and some of these planets because it's kind of like the, the kind of like the Japanese soldiers that are still fighting World War II 30 years after the war ended on some like jungle island or something like yeah. that like has the word even reached these some of these cities that the empire doesn't exist anymore like maybe maybe not right like we know right. that the the people like the most trusted core imperial people that survived the battle of Endor and the battle of Jakku 
um, we're given secret coordinates by Palpatine. This is in some of the side stuff. We're given secret coordinates by Palpatine to rendezvous out in the unknown regions and and rebuild and consolidate the power. And then they came back, you know, decades later as the First Order. Right. But then there are all sorts of Imperial schlubs and like mid-level admirals and moths and stuff who d- didn't get the memo or weren't invited right. to the cool kids party. And they're just sitting there on the outer rim, these outer rim plants saying, uh, what do I do? I've got like this garrison of stormtroopers here, but I'm not getting orders anymore. Should I keep being evil or do, do I retire or <laughs> yeah. what do I do, right? Yeah. Um, so there's the question. So we, we get the reveal, right, that the asset, the thing that Werner Herzog hires the Mandalorian to bring in is a baby from Yoda's species, yeah. which everybody's just calling baby Yoda, even though we know it's not Yoda because Yoda's been dead for six years. Um, we don't know the name of the species. We don't know anything about them. This is one of the big mysteries still in Star Wars. Even in Legends, it was never really explained. We've only seen two people from this race, and that's Yoda and the female Yoda from Star Wars Episode One, who was called Yaddle, she was there was a female Yoda with with like long right. hair sitting on the Jedi Council. Yoda and Yaddle, which is dumb, but that's you know Episode One for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And those were the only two people, so we know two of them, and they were both Jedi Masters. Now, pretty much everybody in the Star Wars prequel is a is a Jedi, Jedi Master, Master sure. so that doesn't really tell you that much. But the the sort of common fan theory is that their race is like especially strong in the Force. Mm-hmm. In some like unique way or nearly unique way. Right. So when we see this baby Yoda, everybody's gonna be like, oh man, everybody's waiting for him to do like cool Jedi stuff, right? Yeah. So it's like a long burn, it's like a slow burn throughout episode oh, two. Like, oh, is he's gonna do something Jedi? Yeah, he's gonna yeah. like heal his wound with the Jedi, yeah, yeah. with the Force Pass. Like, can Jedi do that? Maybe, maybe not, but it looks like he's maybe trying to do it with his little baby hand. It's so and cute. then you get to the end of this, he's being attacked by like this, that huge space rhino. Yeah. And baby Yoda like lifts him up. Really, and you're kind of listening to the music. Of like, oh, are they going to do the thing? They didn't do the thing. They kind of were like yeah, maybe yeah. hinting that they were going to do it. We should talk about the music too. We haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Um, and it lets the Mandalorian kill it with that incredibly pathetic looking little knife that's yeah. like two inches long that somehow is still enough to penetrate the bra- brain of this 20-ton space rhino. Um, but anyway. It's, I thought it was a jugular shot, but anyway. Maybe, but there was no blood either. But again, that's it's kind true. of like an all-ages show. But Whatever. Um, but I, I am surprised by the tone because I thought it was going to be like, this guy's going to be like Clint Eastwood. It's going to be violent and dark and gritty, yeah, right? Yeah, um, It's going to be like the daredevil yeah. of, of of Star Wars stuff. But instead, it's like it's like funny and quirky and kind of goofy sometimes. Like it's you a got, Western, you got like this, so Nick, You got this, like this animatronic Ugnaught yeah. with the voice of Nick Nolte. Yeah. Um, and you've got like this little baby Yoda. And he's like this little flying egg that's he's able so to fly cute. along at the same speed as the Jawa sand speeder. The yeah. Sandcrawler to yeah. like keep up with that, and the Mandalorian's going like Pratt falls off of the Sandcrawler when he's shocked by the. It's got like this kind of. It can be goofy sometimes, in that way that Star Wars can be goofy sometimes. You know, like it balances the the serious stuff and the and the lighter stuff in the way that Star Wars. It's probably it's darker than like you know a New Hope or yeah. Return of the Jedi, but it's not as dark as I would have expected it's it to so be. It's so rich with subplot sub themes, I should say. Well, there's no subplot so far, but n- like thematically and like you know visually and no but the themes of it are so good like you 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 feel that they that the writers have spent a lot of time considering who this character is that they've given the the race and the current history so much thought and their dialogue within the the Oh, you just mentioned it. The 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 construction hut. The um construction hut? You know, where he's getting his armor made? The oh, armor hut. Well I called it like the Mandalorian ghetto, but there's like the forge there. The yeah, lady, yeah, yeah. The forge. The Mandalorian I mean, the, just, blacksmith. It's such a small scene, but there's so much history there. And they, they have um the the uh, flashbacks to the baby Mandalorian yeah. there. And um he, he makes reference that he's an orphan. Kid, and kid it's DeLorean. the most right. He's a kid Delorean before he became a Mandalorian. The Delorean mm, needs work. I'll workshop it later. Um, but there's there's just there's a backstory that we don't know yet, and and um, and he's not perfect. And in this episode, we see him pretty much at his lowest, but he still every time he falls down, he gets back up. If he has strength, yeah, I he saw, gets back I up. I saw people compare in terms of like Lucasfilm heroes. He's not Boba Fett. He's more like Indiana Jones, where he's super competent. But Indiana Jones' only superpower was that he always gets back up, like he doesn't give up. But he yeah. would get his butt beat all the time, right? And the scene where he's crawling, the, the Mandalorian's crawling up the side of the sandcrawler was kind of like the scene in Last Crusade where Indiana Jones is on the side of the tank fighting the Nazis. I mean, you could draw parallels, sure. But, but Indiana but... Jones was kind of like a down-in-his-luck, hard-scrabble hard, hard scrabble hero. You know what I mean? Like he was, 
he was not super strong. He'd get he'd go up against huge opponents, and the only way he could beat them was by like shooting them with his gun. Right? Yeah, like he's, yeah. he's like I'm not I can't fight this guy. I'd lose, right? Mm-hmm. And this guy's like he's more like he's more downtrodden, more blue collar Mandalorian than Boba Fett Mandalorian. But I want to talk about um, I want to talk about Pedro Pascal, and I want to talk about the music. Yeah. So I think the music is not like anything we've ever heard from Star Wars so before. So damn. Everything has been. Good. Everything has either been obviously all the movies, all the main, all the Skywalker saga movies have been John Williams. Rogue One was Michael Giacchino, and then I forget the name of the fellow who did Solo, but even those were incorporating a lot of Williams's themes and were keep playing in the same genre of music, the sort of brassy yeah. classic orchestral old-timey movie scores, True. right? The movie serial scores. Um, and then the TV shows have generally had the same kind of tone, but on like a more, a much smaller and usually like synthesized, not real orchestra budget, like Clone Wars, Rebels, use a lot of the same themes and have the same general tone, albeit with like a cheaper sounding feel because it's all synthesized music and not full orchestras. But this is going off in its completely different direction. I don't know what I don't have the musical literacy necessarily to even tell you what kind of genre this is, but it's using like a lot of more, I don't want to say ethnic, because what does that even mean? But like much in the same way that Battlestar Galactica score use instruments from different parts of the world in ways that you wouldn't expect to hear on like a space opera show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Jap- these weird Japanese drums and everything else, right? Like this uses instruments and instrumentation and composition in, in, in a way that doesn't, like you would you could play the score and say, which of these franchises does it belong to? And I'm not sure you could even place it I as could. a Star Wars score. No. With the exception of one or two parts where the brassy orchestra comes up at like the big hero moments. Just sort of like the slow, Mandal- the theme of the Mandalorian as he's doing something like really slowly, like really cool. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like anything we've ever heard from Star Wars before. And this is L- Ludwig Göransson who um, who did the score for Black Panther mm-hmm. and Creed Two and a bunch of other stuff. Um and he won this, Academy Award for Black he? Panther. Yeah. yeah, this so this is a fantastic score. I mean, this is this is it's so good for me. It it's so evocative of a nice desolate sort of yeah, experience. It's, it's, it's the perfect. It's perfect score. I wouldn't it's, have. I wouldn't have I wanted call it, a more traditional I call it a space space. Um, it's a space western basically. That's what it yeah, sounds definitely. like. But this is not like the score so for like good. a classic Eastwood. Western or classic spaghetti no, Western. No, but this it is has the different. rhythm of it. It has the bum, bum, It conjures bum, up. Bum, 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 it, it's it's perfect bum, bum, because it, it does sound so like good. it's not a Western score. It is a space Western score. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah, yes. in, in the way that even like say Firefly, which is when you talk about space Western, people bring up Firefly, but that had a more tradition. It had like a str- the strummy guitar. Right. That was more of like a classic Western. That was score a, even and yeah, juxtaposed that against was space. Yeah, if I can, that if was I can cla- use that term. This is like something completely original, and it yet is. it still makes it sound like. A well, the other one. hey, 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 Joss Whedon's. Um, I mean, that score was that music. Firefly, Firefly music was really original, and it perfectly tied into yeah. what that show. But I feel was. like you could have you could have put most of that music. Match. You could have put most of the Firefly music in a traditional Western. I don't think so. And I think, it, well, it would have fit more than this did. Put it that way. Like, yeah. This would not fit in a classic I know, but Western. don't say that it doesn't fit. Like, it does fit. It, it's, it was perfect for what that show was. And this score sure. is but magnificent. A, but a, but a, lot of what, a lot of what Firefly was trying to do was take classic Western tropes and just add spaceships to it, by and large. In terms of the setting. In terms True. of the setting. Whereas this is trying to, this is more complex because Star Wars is its own specific world with its own specific tropes like yeah. the Force and Stormtroopers and Mandalorians and Jawas and stuff like that that have no like analog necessarily to things in classic Western. Right. So it has to be more of its own thing. But, but we should talk about Pedro Pascal. So two episodes in. So what's, what do you think? You think we're going to get to see his, his face? You in think it's like one? the last episode or something he's going to take his helmet off? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we saw it in the previews, right? There was there's a woman that he goes back to see. She, but she's she's literally she's she starting to lift his helmet off. But I don't think they would have put that in the trailer if she's actually good. If that's going to be the moment where his helmet actually comes off, because I don't think that would spoil that. I don't know. I, I could go Why both not? ways. What does it matter? Because I think I wouldn't. I wouldn't regard that as a spoiler. Yeah, I think it's a spoiler. Um, I, it could be like the Carl Urban Dread movie where he literally, like, even though they cast a movie star in it, he they, he's like, no, I don't want you to have my helmet off at all because Judge Dredd never takes his helmet off. So you never saw Carl Urban's face. You saw his chin, you know, and his scowl, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you never saw his eyes or the most of his head because he's like, no, in the comics, Judge Dredd never takes his helmet off. So he was adamant. He's like, you can cast me in this movie if you want, but I'm saying right now, I don't want, I don't want the audience to ever see my face. Like, mm-hmm. That was, he wanted to be true to the, That's the character. That's so cool. So... Maybe they're going to do the same thing here. It's like we never saw Boba Fett's face until he was a stupid, right. stupid kid matter. in the prequels. Right. Um, 
And then later, you know, we can sort of extrapolate and say that he must have looked like Tamora Morrison when he was that age, right? Because uh-huh. he was a clone yes. of Django Fett. Mm-hmm. So we can we can we now kind of know in a roundabout way what he would have looked like. Um, but but we never saw his face in the original movies, and maybe they're going to do something similar here. Like maybe it's the maybe right. they, like you can cast Pedro Pascal, who's like a star in Game of Thrones. He's going to be in the Wonder Woman sequel. Is you know he's he's really everywhere these days, but. Is maybe they're just never going to show his face, but I think that he's doing a fantastic job because first of all, his his the what he's conveying with his voice is awesome. First of all, he's got like a really cool sounding like smoky voice. Yeah, he does. And they're they're putting a bit of like synthesized helmet futz on it, so it's not right. like fully so his it's natural reverbs. Voice. It like echoes within the helmet, like but it he's sounds got that way. But he's but... he's got like this. He's not like a Kevin Conroy deep baritone voice, but it's like this sort of raspy. Voice, it's kind of cool, but Boba Fett, the classic tired. Boba Fett voice, was that way too. You know it what wasn't he sounds? Like, he sounds tired. Yeah, but but I think like remember the classic Boba Fett voice, right? Like you had oh, Darth, yeah, Darth yeah, yeah. Vader with his deep, resonant James Earl Jones voice, and then you had yeah. Boba Fett, who was more like husky and raspy, like he's no good to me, dead. It wasn't mm-hmm. like join me. It was he's no good to me, dead, right? And then yeah, yeah. Pedro Pascal here has got the same sort of raspy Mandalorian vibe to it. But even moreover, like just the just his body language, like yeah. like he's conveying a lot so with good. just like the way he tilts his head or the mm-hmm. way he sort of like hunches his shoulders or just the way he carries himself. Like it's not it's not easy to you know, you, you would I don't know. Like there's actors It's not easy there's, to there's, emote there's, through there's, there's actors that have actors like Doug Jones who have made their career I know. playing under heavy makeup or prosthetics or whatever where you never see their face and they have to convey everything through their body language and right. they have this incredible way of moving that can be tailored to suit the character they're playing. Right. Pedro Pascal, I don't know what his acting background is. Maybe he comes from like interpretive dance or something or anything, you know what I, I don't know. But the roles that he's played before that I've seen him in have been like traditional roles where you see his face and he's allowed sure. to call upon his full range of normal acting things, right? Yep. So so I don't know. I wouldn't have pe- pegged him necessarily as someone who, like Doug Jones, could convey this much character just through his body language. Right. Not all actors could do that based on, you know, their particular skill set or the way they were trained or their, you know, strengths and weaknesses. But he definitely can. And obviously, I imagine when they were screen testing him for this, when they were auditioning, I imagine they probably put him in some armor or something and be like, you know, do these things for us and see how much you can convey of the character, right? right. Um, but yeah, I think he's doing a fantastic job. I almost hope that we never do see his face. Hmm. Not because I think, because there's all sorts of people out there who are like, oh man, when he takes his helmet off, it's going to be some big reveal, right? Like we're going to see that he's some character we already know. I don't think that's going to be, I think he's a new original character. <laughs> I agree. So I don't think it's going to be, if he takes his face off, his helmet off, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to look like Pedro Pascal. I think, don't think yeah. he's going to take his helmet off and go, oh, it's actually Luke Skywalker or something. You know, some dumb <laughs> no. thing that they could do, right? Yeah. Where they get Pedro Pascal, it turns out Pedro Pascal is only doing the voice, but when they take the helmet off, yeah. it's somebody we know under there, right? Like yeah. it's Ezra oh, or no, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, man, it could be. Yeah, I bet there's a fan <laughs> theory out there. Stop. I bet there's oh, a fan no. theory that Sabine and Ahsoka... Yeah. Found Ezra. Yeah. And then Sabine made him like an honorary Mandalorian. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we see it. But I mean, you know, I, I can, I'm talking myself in circles because we have seen his, what we're assuming to be his childhood, right? I his, mean, but there's no reason why Pedro Pascal can't be playing Ezra. Old Mandalore. Ezra. Why not? Yeah, I guess. What's your point? <laughs> that's, but, that's a good, that's a good theory right yeah. there. You heard it first on Smarts, everybody. I don't know. But I mean, I don't think they're going to do that. I think if we ever do see his face, he'll just, and if we ever do learn his real name, he'll just be like a guy. some guy. Yeah. He's not going to be like But that's I the magic of the show. It's just I awesome. Mean, you can imagine all the all the fan theories that were flying around before this, that he's actually secretly going to be Boba Fett. And they're not telling us that now because they're saving it for a big reveal, but right. it's actually going to be Boba Fett or it's actually going to be. There were even fan theories before we knew that Pedro Pascal had been cast where they were like, oh, it is literally going to be Sabine. Like they're going to take, you I know. know, they're going to have a synthesized voice and then they're going to take their helmet off at the end of the first episode and it's going to be a woman and that's going to be the reveal it's oh. going to be Tia Sirkar or it's going to be somebody else playing the character right, right. obviously that's not the case um, but yeah I, I, I don't think so I don't care I, I think I would actually prefer if we didn't see their face because I think it would be a cool thing like they do five seasons of this show and he literally never takes his helmet off like that'd be a cool thing to no pun intended like hang your hat on you know what I mean like <laughs> we could we could we could develop this character make you care about this character and you know make them care when they die at the end of the show or something like that without you ever having to actually have a face to associate with it mm-hmm. you know and, and when you've seen the interviews with Pedro Pascal, it's kind of in the back of your mind, like in your mind's eye, that it's his face under there. But yeah. I think the vast majority of the people watching this 
might not even know what Pedro Pascal looks like, right? I know. They just sign yeah. up for Disney Plus so they can their kids can watch The Little Mermaid. And they're like, well, I like Star Wars. Let's watch this. This show. What's That's this, kid-friendly, what's this, yes. uh, Mandal- this What's older. this Mandalorian? I'll watch that. Isn't that the name <laughs> of the car from Back to the Future? Is Back to the Future in Star Wars now? What's this? And it's like, but. Oh, you win at jokes. Okay. But uh, but yeah, I think it's really good. So I mean, I'm I'm surprised that it's sort of become like. Do you know what Lone Wolf and Cub is? Are you familiar with that? No. It's a manga. I don't think it was ever adapted into an anime, but it's a it's a classic manga, which was like uh, a samurai and his baby, Lone wolf. basically. It was a samurai and his son, his infant son, and he his son he would carry his son with him around while he would do brutal samurai oh my ronin gosh. things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and this has kind of got that vibe. Like, is is this like I imagine the next episode? He's got a ship fix. He's probably going to take Baby Yoda back to Werner Herzog there. Um, but it, it, you kind of get the you kind of see from this episode like he could almost have like a whole season where it's just like him having misadventures, having to fight back, having to wrestle bounties, while at the same time having to protect the little Baby Yoda who yeah. like is looking up to him as his only mama, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's what the show makes. You know, he's not going to, even if he takes the baby Yoda to Werner Herzog, you know, he's not going to leave him in there. Because you know they've got I, that imperial scientist guy yeah. who people pointed out is had the, the, the insignia on the imperial scientist guy there yeah. is the same one as the cloners on Kamino had in Star Wars Episode 2. You know, the guys that created all the Jango Fett clones, right. the clone troopers. Yep. So the speculation is that Verna, is that the Empire knows, I guess, because the Emperor knew Yoda species or knew something about them, that it's known in the Empire that Yoda species is really strong in the Force. So if they got word that there was a baby Yoda out there, maybe like, look, let's get this guy. Let's clone a bunch of him. Mm-hmm. And this can be like Clone Troopers 2.0, except they're all going to be like super Jedi Master guys and we'll have like this Sith army we can basically use to rebuild the Empire. Right, right? That's right. presumably their plan, I'm assuming, is going to be like to clone this baby. So I don't know. I, and they said alive or dead. I guess they just need genetic... Tissue, Sampling, right? yeah. So I think the Mandy- Mandalorian is going to bring this guy. We should just call him Mandy. The Mandalorian is going to bring the the baby back to Werner Herzog. Maybe he's even going to leave the baby with him. But then there's going to be a sequence where he like has second thoughts about yeah. it, or he like hears that what they're sequ- what they're actually planning to do with him, and he's like, no, I can't let that happen, mm-hmm. right? And he goes back and saves him, and then he goes on the run with the baby. You can kind of see maybe where they would go with it, but. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's, it's got a lot of so it's it's I think it's like eight episodes or ten episode season. It's it's not long. I mean, the Marvel Disney Plus shows are only going to be like six episodes, so yeah, really short. Um, and like I said, the running they're time is adopting not very long, the BBC but. methodology. Well, even Doctor Who seasons are like twelve episodes long these days. Yeah, six the Marvel shows, or at least some of them. I think the the Loki one is going to be six. Is really short. Mm-hmm. Presumably the episodes will be longer. They'll be like, I would assume, 60 or 70 minutes. These are 8 or 10 episodes, but they're like 30 to 40 minutes so far. So, yep. Yeah. That's really good. I'm enjoying it. Me too. Very much so. so that's it for our shows. Yeah. So if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Very good.